Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the spot to be at this Saturday between the pregame party for DC United, the musician Matt Waller, and UFC 278. Register for free at waltersdc.com and you will earn a free beer in the process. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Who's ready? The 1 1 to Abrams. Swinging a ground ball right side. That is past the diving Madrigal base hit. Heading home is Cole. The throw from Suzuki. The tag by Contreras is missed. And this game is tied. RBI game tying single for CJ Abrams. He ends up at second base. It's the Nationals 5 and the Cubs 5. Pitch swing and a little looper. Right center field going to fall in for a base hit. Thomas over to get it. Wisdom held up until it landed and then comes in to score. A looping single in the shallow right center for Seiya Suzuki. And the Cubs have scored twice here in the 11th and now lead it 7 to 5. Lighter sets. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss on a changeup down and out of the zone. He got him to chase a pitch that was not a strike. And Lighter wins the battle this time and the Cubs win the ball game. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 17th, 2022, along with MazinSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, what seemed like another one of these ho-hum, nothing-happening Nationals games in the 2022 season ended up becoming one of the wilder, one of the crazier Nats games in the 2022 season. The game did end up being another Nats loss in the 2022 season, a 7-5-11 inning loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series. But this was some game. There is a lot to get into with this game, including the first hit for C.J. Abrams for the Nats at the Major League level. It was a big hit. It was a clutch hit. We had the Nats rallying. We had the return of Patrick Corbin off his uh, last start having been skipped. We had quite the Jekyll and Hyde night for the Nats bullpen. Mark, we had a lot happening on what seemed initially like a rather sleepy night at Nationals Park. Yeah, we had a lot happening, Al, but the end result was something that we've seen way too many times. And that's not just the Nats losing a game, but the Nats losing an extra inning game. They are now, over the last two seasons, a ridiculous 3-18 and in extra innings. And yeah, you could say, okay, well, they're a bad team. Obviously, that's part of the equation. But you know what? I think there's more to it than that because you watch the way they approach some of those at-bats. I couldn't help but think to myself watching this game, they are great for 
seven, eight innings at just hitting ground balls. And when they rally, it's singles and they have a hard time doing much else. But you put him in a spot where now all of a sudden one swing can win the game or tie the game late in extra innings. And what do they do? They start swinging out of their shoelaces. In the last three innings, the ninth, 10th, and the 11th, they went a combined one for 10 with six strikeouts at the plate. A lot of big swings. The only guy to deliver in any of those spots was C.J. Abrams. And what did he do? Two out, RBI single to right, tie the game. I think there's something about mentally in those spots they have not figured out how to approach, especially when you get this automatic runner on second base. They have just not figured out how to get that guy in and try to extend the game. They're trying to go for broke. And 18 out of the last 21 times, it hasn't worked. It's amazing. I mean, we get it. The Nats have been really bad the last two seasons, but that is odd. I mean, you should never be 3-18 and 18 in any subset of games, you know, like no matter the parameters or the descriptions of the games, like 3-18, and 18, that's not normal. I do think there is an element of bad luck here, but yeah, no doubt. I mean, I don't think it's coincidence either. And it's so funny because the Nats, have, if like there's one thing they do do is make contact, right? Like they are pretty good at that. You'd think, okay, automatic runner on second base, that actually should suit you well. But for whatever reason, it doesn't. And the other thing is it feels like the Nats bullpen, you know, it's like Superman going into the telephone booth, but it's the opposite. Once you go to extra innings, these relievers just falter. They, they don't do all that well. And, you know, you could say like the runs are unearned and stuff, but you don't get clean innings. I mean, we had excellence from the Nats bullpen innings 7, 8, 9 on Tuesday night. And then everything changed in innings 10 and 11. It was like two totally different pens on display. Right. It's like the opposite approach. They realize, oh, wait, there's a runner in scoring position. I'm in a jam. I got to try to do something different. It's like, no, just get the guys out and you'll be fine. In theory, yeah, you might get two outs and the runner scores anyways by advancing, but that's okay. That's not the end of the world. If you do that, it's the hits, it's the walks, everything else. I think they let the moments become too big for themselves when that situation occurs. You know, Personally, I've never been a fan of this automatic runner since they instituted a few years ago. But anybody affiliated with the Nationals cannot be a fan of it because it's been terrible for them. I don't know if it would make a difference if they're playing traditional extra innings with nobody's on base, but it certainly hasn't helped them win any more games. The other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with it, they still don't have a walk-off win this year. The entire season, not a single walk-off win. They've had opportunities. There have been plenty of them. They have yet to be able to come through in that spot. That's really amazing. I mean, you should, you know fall out of bed over the course of a season and have at least one walk-off win. I mean, geez, everybody has at least one. And many teams have like a bunch, right? Five, six, seven, ten. I mean, the numbers can really spike for teams in terms of walk-off victories in a season. Yeah, that is nuts. Well, we did have the big hit from C.J. Abrams on Tuesday night. That was great to see. So C.J. Abrams on Tuesday night. Again, your national starting shortstop. Again, your number seven batter in the Nats lineup. You know, he wasn't looking so great offensively, just like he didn't look so great offensively on Monday night. But in the biggest spot, he did come through. C.J. Abrams in the Nats, one run 10th, a two-out RBI single through the right side of the infield to tie the game at five. Pinch runner Alex Call slid under the tag of Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras. Cubs manager David Ross challenged the play, but uh, Call being safe at home was upheld. The call regarding Call was upheld. But what a hit right there for C.J. Abrams, who also continued to shine defensively in this game. Abrams in a Kyle Finnegan perfect top of the ninth with the game tied at four began the inning with back-to-back assists, including impressively 
and quickly shuffling his feet and moving to his left deep on the infield dirt. Uh, this on a one-out ground out by Nico Horner. So, you know, look, we're not going to go too crazy with a single and a nice defensive play, but, you know, we want anything we can get in terms of positivity, especially from C.J. Abrams right now. Uh, great job by him coming through with that single. Yeah, so first real quick on the defense. Other than that one error in the first game, I've been really impressed everything else about him. Just smooth, quick, everything very quick, but not in a hurried or frantic way. Started a double play that was just really smooth and clean. A couple more nice plays going to his left and all that. I like what I've seen from him in the field. And at the plate, yeah, he was probably feeling it a little bit. It got to 0 for 8 over two games. Still looking for his first hit. He hit a couple balls well, but he also had some strikeouts and some big spots prior to the 10th inning. And he might have been starting to feel a little bit. But he also has had to face a bunch of lefties here late in games. It just kind of worked out that way where the Cubs have been able to have a lefty on the mound against him. So not great matchups, but he hung in there for that last one. And with the game on the line, he did what you're supposed to do. Don't try to do too much. You got a chance to tie the game with a single, find a hole, get the bat on the ball and hit it in the right field for the hit. So I'll be interested if kind of now that he has that one out of the way, if that allows him to relax a little bit. It's almost like he got the air out of the way in the field, and now everything else has been smooth since then. Now he's got his hit out of the way. Maybe everything will start to feel a little better for him at the plate as well. It does look different with him defensively as compared to what we had been seeing with Luis Garcia and what we had been seeing with Alcides Escobar. And you might say, well, those are low standards. And yes, you're right. But Abrams, there is a quickness. There is a decisiveness. It's really fun to watch. I mean, he moves with purpose and he moves with a speed and an athleticism that not everyone has. It's pretty cool. I mean, range isn't always easy to identify with the naked eye. It's pretty obvious with this guy. He has range. He gets to balls quickly. He covers a lot of ground. And, um, you know, I guess we can't plant the flag of victory yet, clearly, but it sure seems like you have something special. Like the athleticism of this guy, which was talked up quite a bit by Mike Rizzo on the day of the trade, I think that's legit. I mean, that that seems like it's very much there and uh, that that plays at the major league level. And a good arm too, you know, strong arm, I've noticed. When he's got his fundamentals down, when you get the footwork right, he gets himself in a good position, he makes the plays. You're not seeing like, like we'd see with Luis Garcia, oh, a kind of stumble, oh, what am I trying to do here? And you can see the wheels spinning in his head and something goes wrong. No, you can see he's in control of everything that he's doing. And even the air is kind of a, a mistake of aggression as opposed to looking out of his comfort zone or something like that. So yeah, I, I like what I've seen. We did get to see him on the bases there a little bit. And Davey actually pointed out a little subtle thing. It didn't make a difference in the final outcome, but on the game tying hit, the throw comes to the plate to try to get call. And Abrams doesn't hesitate. He rounds first straight to second base. And Davey's pointing out how for a 21-year-old, a rookie, not a lot of experience, to have that kind of instinct and awareness of the situation was really important because in theory, he's in scoring position now, could have scored the winning run if the next hitter had come through. And that's not something necessarily you see everybody do. In fact, you saw the Cubs with some bad base running in this game. You also saw certain... National center fielder with some bad base running in this game. So it was nice to see Abrams show his awareness in that spot and know how to be aggressive in taking the extra base. Yeah, knowing how to run the bases, it's it's not as simple as like, well, you're young, you don't know, you're older, you do know. Like, no, there's a lot more to it than that. You can be young and understand things and you can be a veteran and still not get things as we saw with our friend Victor early in the game. By the way, while we're talking, C.J. Abrams, the latest 
top 100 prospects list from MLB Pipeline came out on Tuesday. Abrams per pipeline is no longer considered a prospect. Each outlet is kind of different with how it defines a prospect. But even without Abrams being considered a prospect, the Nats have four of the top 58 prospects in baseball per MLB Pipeline. Uh, Outfielder Robert Hassel III, who just got promoted to uh, AA Harrisburg, he's the number 23 prospect. Outfielder Elijah Green, the Nats 2022 first round pick, he's the number 29 prospect. Outfielder James Wood is the number 35 prospect. And starting pitcher Kate Cavalli is the number 58 prospect. So the Nats had what C.J. Abrams did. The Nats also had another rally in this game. They overcame a 3 nothing six-inning deficit, uh, scored a run in the bottom of the sixth, a run in the bottom of the seventh, and two runs in the bottom of the eighth. And the two runs in the bottom of the eighth came via the homer. Yeah, the Nats hit two home runs on Tuesday night. Luke Voigt in the two-run eighth, a leadoff homer to left field over the Cubs' bullpen to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-3. And Lane Thomas, he in that two-run eighth had a one-out solo shot to left field into the Cubs' bullpen to tie the game at four. It was kind of an odd game for the Nats offensively. Again, not a lot happening, and then things started to happen, and the Nats actually ended up finishing the game with 13 hits and four walks. You had those two homers in the eighth. You had Cesar Hernandez on Tuesday night with two doubles and a single. You had Kbert Ruiz, who we thought was going to have the night off, off just taking a beating behind the plate on Monday night. He comes off the bench, has a single and a walk. So we saw some good stuff from the Nats offensively in this game. Just took him a while to finally get it going, unfortunately. And good thing, I mean, the home runs, obviously, those were great. And there were some clutch hits in other spots. But it once again, they're like one clutch hit away from actually winning a game or completing a rally. And there were opportunities for some guys. Joey Manessis, we love him. But boy, did he hit into a killer double play with the bases loaded in the seventh inning. You had another double play from Lane Thomas in the second inning. You had, like I said, some strikeouts with runners in scoring position. It just it feels like the, they take these steps. You say, okay, they're kind of showing the right things here, but they're just not getting that one last little extra uh, good at bat in a big spot to make it all worthwhile. And it, it just it's frustrating because you get to the end of the night and you're like, well, there were some good things in there, of course, but it didn't result in the win. And I know it's not the end of the world. They didn't win this game. Okay, so what? But you'd like to feel a little bit rewarded for your efforts, especially when you do things that are good and come from behind and rally and force extra innings and all that. It'd be nice to come away from all this with a win for a change. Yeah. I mean, the pitching was not good in this game. You know, that was uh, certainly an issue. Nets finished the game with 13 hits, two homers, two doubles, nine singles, uh, four walks, four for 16 with runners in scoring position. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. 
Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Steele has the sign from Contreras come set. He checks Robles off first. He runs, swinging a fly ball right field. Suzuki coming in to catch it. Now makes the catch. Robles firing, running back to first. Doesn't slide, and he is out at first base. We made mention of it, so we might as well address it. The Victor Robles base running boo-boo. I almost feel like we need a regular segment. We could get like a sponsor for this segment, the Victor Robles boo-boo of the day, because it feels like every day there's something to discuss here with our guy Victor. So Robles on Tuesday night was back to being the Nats' leadoff batter, one for two with a single and a walk. He in the bottom of the first had a leadoff single to center field. But moments later, like, I don't know, it was like maybe a few minutes later in terms of like actual real time, a terrible base running blunder. He on a Joey Manessis line out, the Cubs right fielder Seiya Suzuki did not get back to first base before getting doubled up. And if you watch this, this really is one of the more inexplicable base running boo-boos you'll ever see. I mean, think about this. He's on first. Manessis lines out to right field. The play is right in front of Victor Robles. I don't know what he was doing. He was way off first base. It was like he was asleep, and then he woke up and realized, oh, I got to get back to first base. And then he seemed like he was going at half speed, and then he doesn't slide into first base, and he, and he ends up being out. I couldn't get over this. Like, I know we've seen base running blunders by Victor and other Nationals players this season. This might be the worst. I don't know how you justify this. I can't imagine what Davey Martinez must have said to Victor. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was good, and I... Don't think we're going to see Victor in the lineup on Wednesday. Certainly, after all that, he didn't even finish this game. It was more of a matchup thing, but he got pulled in the seventh inning. Uh, yeah, what struck me about it, it's not even that he got caught too far off the base or that he had to put on the brakes and, and turn and go back. It was 
really what appeared to be a lack of full-on effort to get back to first, capped off by the lack of a slide. It's like he never even believed that it was going to be close or he had already just conceded that he was going to be out. Either way, it's a bad look. If you're going to get doubled up like that, at least look like you're trying to hustle to get back to the base. And at somebody on Twitter tried to say to me that that sliding there would have actually slowed him down, that that running was actually the faster option. No, if you're running through the base, yeah, running is better. But when you have to stop there, you could see you have to pull up and slow down to that last little step. Go hard, slide into the base. No excuse for it. And how many times can we say this stuff happens? And what's the end result? Maybe he sits for a few days, but you know, he's going to be back in there at some point, right? I mean, I, I don't think he's all of a sudden uh, getting sent down to AAA because of that mistake, right? We, we know how this works at this point. Yeah, it's not unlike our friend Patrick Corbin, who we'll get to here in a little bit. There's not a lot left to say. I think as time goes on, though, and we continue to see these mistakes, I do wonder, like, why can't the organization get through to him? Like, is he just someone with whom you can't get through? Or like, are they not conveying the message? Like, what is this about? Clearly, he's a flawed player, right? Clearly, there's something with him. There's something with his mental makeup. There's something with the DNA here that's just not clicking in terms of like not making these blunders. But why is it that Davey or Mike Rizzo or someone can't get through to him or can't get him to improve upon this? I don't know. Maybe it's just we get tired of saying the same thing of like bad boy Victor Robles. But it's like, what does this say about the team that this keeps happening with him and that they don't get through to him? You know, that's the aspect of this that really has me right now. Yeah. And I don't know if the answer is that there's some other message or some other tactic they could take that would work, or is he just uncoachable? Are his baseball instincts just never going to develop to the point that he senses these things in the moment and understands? I mean, sometimes his mistakes are, you know, him trying to do too much. The throwing a ball to the backstop from center field on a play that has no chance, that's him trying to do too much. That's not what this was. I don't know what this was, but it was it was a lack of effort, a lack of awareness, a lack of hustle, all of those things. And it's such a bad look for any player, but especially for one who's had as many mistakes as he has over the years, who has been talked to as many times as he has over the years, who's lost his job as many times as he has. It's not like they've, you know, continually just said, okay, well, go ahead. You're going to lead off again tomorrow. I'm like, no, they do bench him for times. We saw last year they sent him down to AAA. The consequences don't seem to do anything to him and change anything about this. And it's agonizing. It's frustrating to everybody. And at the same time, I think there are still people in the organization that say, well, we can't give up on him altogether because he does have some skills. We saw he made, of course, he had a diving catch in center field. That's the way the universe works. One good, one bad. It all balances itself out. And I'm sure there are some people in there who are terrified that if they ever let him go, he'd catch on with somebody else and turn into the player they always thought he would be, right? Isn't that how this works? That seems to be how it works these days anyway. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not always as simple as, you know, you got to put a, a boot in his rear end and yell and scream at him. Like, I understand that. Everyone responds to things differently, right? I don't know what tactics they've taken with him, so it's hard to say what they should do with him. But I guess if they've never like read him the riot act, maybe he needs that. Some guys need to be coached very hard. You know, some guys you can leave alone and not talk to. And when they screw up, you don't have to say anything to them because, you know, their self-inflicted guilt will be worse than anything you can say. 
But other people, man, you got to get in their face and you got to ride them. And, you know, maybe he's one of those guys. And I don't know if the Nats have done that or not. I mean, again, we don't have all the information here, so we don't know. But what we do know is that this stuff keeps happening. And what happened on Tuesday night was especially egregious. Like that seemed to be on a different level of just lack of awareness, lack of effort, perhaps. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, again, the play is right in front of you. I still don't understand how that happened with him on Tuesday night. And for the record, for those uh, who, who weren't sure of this, although I think it was pretty obvious, this was officially a toot bland. Victor Robles was thrown out on the bases like a major nincompoop. This was a textbook toot bland. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is you know, this is exactly what uh, that phrase is uh, meant to be about. All right, so the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night. This was actually a fascinating situation. So five Nats relievers end up being used in the game. The first three relievers were just outstanding. I mean, you could not have asked for more from the bullpen, keeping the Nats in the game. I mean, you saw dominant. Steve Ciszek, perfect top of the seventh, two strikeouts. Erasmo Ramirez, perfect top of the eighth, three strikeouts. Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth. It felt like the story of the game might end up being the Nats bullpen, but then the two Nats relievers who got used in extra innings were not so good. Carl Edwards Jr. in the top of the 10th allowed an unearned run. And I tell you, this top of the 10th, we could do like an hour on. Edwards gave up a leadoff pinch single to Zach McKinstry to right field on a 1-2 pitch. Then came what ended up being ruled a force out off the bat of Rafael Ortega as a grounder to Cesar Hernandez resulted in McKinstry crashing into Hernandez. The umpires eventually ruled that McKinstry would have been out at second base, but did not rule that the Nats would have had the double play, although a run ended up not scoring on that play. Then Edwards issued a one-out hit-by-pitch of Nick Madrigal to load the bases, And then Edwards got Wilson Contreras to fly into what ended up being a one-out RBI sack fly double play as on the play, the Cubs automatic runner Ian Happ scored from third base, but also on the play was Ortega getting tagged out in a rundown between second and third. And then Victor Arano in the top of the 11th, two runs, one earned, he gave up a double, two singles, and issued a wild pitch. But man, that top of the 10th was some inning. That was nuts. I can tell you from the press box, you know, five stories up, 500 feet away, you could hear the collision clearly. That was about as violent as I've ever seen one of those. Remember way back in the day, who was Albert Bell and Fernando Vina, like a forearm to the face? It sounded like that. It wasn't quite as bad. There was no intent behind this one, but it sounded bad. And I'm almost surprised that Cesar stayed in the game because it looked that bad in live action. And Davey came out. He was trying to actually make the case for that to be a double play. I think he knew deep down that that wasn't going to happen. I guess there's some judgment involved there. And they determined that it was an inadvertent interference. It wasn't like McKinstry purposely was trying to run into Hernandez. He had his head down. He's running and he collides with him. But it was funny because you, for a brief moment, there had both managers arguing the call. with David Ross trying to insist that the runner should get the score and David Martinez trying to insist it should be a double play. Neither one of them won out. I think they got the call right in the end. And it looked like the Nats were going to catch a break. Once again, one of these kind of controversial calls, they're going to catch a break. The runner won't score. And then unfortunately, they still end up scoring the run after that. But then the double play that the Cubs ran themselves into. And I thought, well, this could come back to help the Nats in the end. They're only down one in the 10th instead of down two or more wasn't enough in the end, but a crazy inning. Those extra innings really turned this into a wild ball game after a fairly sleepy first, you know, seven innings of the game. 
It, you know, like with the Nats bullpen, which basically had two games in one game, this game was two games in one game. There was the just, you know, nothing happening portion of the game. And then there was the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs final few innings of the game. The other thing, too, with Cesar on that play was he held on to the baseball like a receiver going over the middle, making a tough catch, taking a shot from a safety, but holding on to the ball for the catch. Cesar actually held on to the ball. And as I remember the play, he got up pretty quickly after being struck by McKintry. There was a toughness on display from Cesar Hernandez that I wasn't necessarily aware existed. So he made the catch. Did he make a baseball move after that? <laughs> That's the question. Ask Calvin Johnson. I'm not sure. Yeah, but that was impressive. He completed the process of the catch, I think, though, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, my respect for Cesar Hernandez uh, has gone up. And I guess we will uh, save the best for last, or is it the worst for last? I'm not really sure. But Patrick Corbin was back on Tuesday night off having had his turn in the rotation skipped, off having been especially bad lately, uh, even by his standards over these last few seasons. Corbin came into this game on Tuesday night having over his last six starts allowed 30 earned runs in 21 and two-thirds innings. Of course, part of that, two of his last three outings, six runs in uh, one-third of an inning. Just about the worst final line you can ever imagine a starting pitcher having. Corbin was better on Tuesday night, but you know it's all relative. He was better, but he was still bad. Four runs in six innings. So that's better than six runs in a third of an inning, but four runs in six innings still uh, isn't very good. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts, 97 pitches, 59 strikes versus 38 balls. I know that he did throw some more change-ups, which is something that Davey Martinez has been wanting. What stood out to you from Corbin on Tuesday night? The change-ups definitely stood out. There was one point early on where he actually had thrown more of them than the slider. That's out of really out of character for him to do that. So I do think that was a calculated attempt to do something a little different. And ultimately, if he's ever going to have success as a starting pitcher, we've been talking about it for a couple of years now, you got to have a third pitch, something different to keep them off balance. So I thought that was, you know, at least decent, although he did give up at least one of the big hits on a changeup that cost him. The feeling seemed among Davey and, and among Patrick himself afterwards was like they were moderately encouraged by this, not thrilled with the way it went, but feeling like it was sort of a step in the right direction. Now, like you said, that still is six innings and four runs. That's not going to get it done in the long run. But from the lowest of the lows that he was at here 10 days ago, I suppose it is some progress and at least he gave him innings and gave him a chance. He got the ball down in the zone a little bit more and he had success when he did that. When he got into trouble, it was usually pitches up in the zone. So that's something. But, you know, I can't help but thinking to myself, I think they purposely set this up where he'd make his first start back against a lesser lineup in the Cubs. Is he going to face the Padres now in San Diego? And how's that going to go when Juan Soto and Manny Machado and Josh Bell are digging into the plate against him. There was no indication of what's going to happen after this one from Davey, but even before the game, he kind of made it seem like this was just a one-time skip in his start. We're not making any rash decisions after that. He's still going to be a member of this rotation for the time being until they have other options. But it's worth noting, Eric Fetty's scheduled to make a rehab start for Rochester on Wednesday, and in theory, that could be the only one he needs before he comes back. And of course, we're all waiting for Cade Cavalli. We think we're getting closer to that point. So I do feel like there are finally going to be some other rotation options coming up within the next 
week or two. And so somebody, maybe even two people have to come out of the rotation. I don't know that means it's going to be Corbin. You still have Vanderbilt Sanchez. You still have Corey Abbott. There are options, different ways to go here. I feel like in this case, Corbin didn't ruin his chances. He didn't fail this assignment. He didn't like just blow his one chance to come back and hit the reset button. But he obviously didn't do enough that made you say, okay, clearly we're feeling good about this. It was just kind of a nondescript, not a terrible, but certainly not a great start. Yeah. I mean, it was an outing that in a lot of ways captures how far he's fallen, that it's four runs in six innings. And this actually can be dressed up as progress. And, you know, I'm Sure, internally, there is a feeling of like, well, ah, like a, a, a sigh of relief of like, well, he didn't allow six runs in a third of an inning. Like, how ridiculous is that, right? But that's kind of where we're at with him. So, yeah, I mean, I thought he was actually going to pitch well because that's kind of the pattern of Corbin is like when you're just ready to like be totally done with him, he'll actually have a good outing. We've seen him do that. But like you said, I mean, Cubs are not good and he still only gave you four runs in six innings. I mean, so we'll see. Not going anywhere for now, I would think, but who knows. You tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can also email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram as well, at NatsChatPodcast. That's at NatsChatPodcast, and you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with a special report from Terry Byram, the voice of the Nats AA affiliate, the Harrisburg Senators. Uh, We'll get an update here on Trey Harris, one of the players acquired by the Nats in their fire sale this year. A fire sale of two trades, but remember the other trade, the A. Ray Adrianza trade. Forget about Juan Soto. What about what the Nats got for A. Ray Adrianza? So we'll get a Trey Harris update and also a, an update on Darren Baker, a uh, son, Dusty Baker. And uh, we thank Terry for this report. He does a great job calling Senators games on WHGBAM in Harrisburg. And you can listen to Harrisburg games online at CBSSportsHarrisburg.com. And we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. The Harrisburg Senators finished their two-week homestand with two wins against their rivals from Reading, the Reading Fight and Phils. Harrisburg shut out Reading 2-0 Saturday evening behind solid pitching by Alex Troop. The left-hander went six shutout innings, allowing five hits while striking out nine and walking just one. He moved to 7-3 and three on the season with the win. Reed Schaller pitched a perfect ninth to his third save uh, this season. Sunday, the Senators rallied from a 6-3 deficit in the 10th inning to score four times, with the last two coming on a walk-off double by Trey Harris. Harris had three hits in the game, including two doubles and drove in three. Darren Baker chipped in two hits and scored the winning run. Harris was acquired by the Nationals from the Braves for Ere Adrianza on August 1st. Since joining the Senators, Harris is hitting 318 with three doubles and five RBIs. Baker was off to a hot start with the Senators after his promotion from Wilmington, but has recently had his offensive production slow down. He did have three hits over the weekend, so he may be heating up again. He excels at scoring runs, though, as he has scored 10 runs in just 20 games with the Sins. This week, the Senators are on the road at the Altoona Curve for a six-game series before returning home to FNB Field next Tuesday to take on the Erie Seawolves in their penultimate home series this season.